So we are uh, starting a series called Juice, the key ingredient to a relationship, specifically the key ingredient to healthy uh, relationships. How many of you guys have done a juice diet before? High hands? A couple of you. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, I, don't, I don't recommend it, although I guess if you want to do a bit of a detox and get healthy, uh, you can juice diet. But I found myself, I tried to juice diet for a couple of days, uh, and then I started missing like all that sugar and uh, processed food uh, that my body grew to crave. Uh, but Committing to a juice diet is, can be a difficult thing, but the reason we do it is because we want to be healthy. And the Bible talks about uh, healthy, how to, how, to, how to live in a healthy way in terms of our relational health. And so we're going to look at that this summer. And when you are making juice, you know, behind me you'll see oranges and uh, apples, and you're making juice, you squeeze the fruit, and out of that fruit... Uh, comes your juice, which you drink. Uh, and as a metaphor for our lives, I don't know if you've ever been squeezed and been surprised at the juice that came out of you. <laughs> Have you ever been in a tense situation, maybe with a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a family member, and things didn't go the way you planned, and you got squeezed? And in that moment of being squeezed, juice came out, and uh, you were surprised at the ugliness, the distaste of what actually came out of your own life. I often find it's in those tense moments when I'm getting squeezed that the, the yuck uh, and all that stuff starts to show itself. And so I think juice is a good representation of, of this reality, of what happens when we get squeezed. And in, uh, we're going to spend the summer kind of looking at Galatians 5. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can uh, turn to Galatians 5. If you don't, uh, I'm going to have most of the scriptures on the screen here. And given that we're in a new facility, I'm not sure if we're ready to hand out Bibles yet. Um, so I'm just going to leave that for now. Um, in Galatians 5, verse 13, so this is the uh, Apostle Paul uh, writing. It says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, we've been, uh, we ended our series on the art of neighboring, where we talked about that specific commandment that Jesus gives that sums up the law of the Old Testament, to love God first and foremost, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul uh, affirms this, that the law can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. So in the context of Galatians here, the, the sinfulness of the community was getting squeezed out. You know, they found freedom in Christ, but all of a sudden they were encountering kind of this ugly juice that was uh, spilling out of them, that was getting squeezed out of them, and it was wreaking havoc in that community. It was wreaking havoc on their relationships. And, and Paul addresses this. And so he talks about the sinful nature, and, the, and in, in other Bible translations, and maybe yours would say this, it uses the word flesh. 
And when Paul is writing in the Greek, this word flesh, this word sinful nature is the word sarx. Can you say sarx? So often, when we read the word flesh in Scripture, we think of our physical bodies. And, and that's not what the word actually means. The, the word body, your physical body in Greek is soma. Uh, but he uses a different word, flesh, uh, which is... Yeah, yeah, which is translated here as sinful nature. But instead of just indicating physical body, Sarks refers to the material things that are corruptible, temporary. It refers to attitudes, relationships, actions, desires, worldviews that carries with it a spirit of death and corruption, a spirit of independence, a spirit that moves away from God's plan and desire for our lives. And that's an important distinction because throughout kind of Christian history, uh, People have been confused at this idea of flesh and believe that the physical, it means that the physical world is bad. That's not actually what Paul is saying. Paul is just saying there's a part of every human being, a sinful nature part, a flesh part, that is inclined to move away in independence away from uh, God's will and plan for our lives. There's attitudes in our actions, there's desires that we have that are not actually in line uh, with what God desires for us, wants for us. And so in most of Paul's writing, the flesh is not our body, but our sinful nature. It's the realm of the human mind, the emotions, their appetites that are ruled by sin. Uh, it's egotistical. And neither education or religion can change it. This is important. Learning more, studying more cannot change your sarks. It cannot change your flesh. It can't change your sinful nature. Religion can't change it. In fact, our flesh nature loves religion because religion is the flesh trying to be spiritual. Religion is our flesh, our sinful nature trying to be spiritual. And so we have desires that are inherently pulling us away from God's plan for us, for our lives, for our relationships. And I've used this illustration before, uh, but I think it gets to the point well. You know, if we went to the tiger habitat or exhibit in the zoo, uh, and I think a few summers ago somebody actually did this. Like at, at nighttime, somebody climbed into the tiger exhibit. Do you guys remember the story in the news? Um, and they got their arm bit off by the tiger. Uh, bad idea. I, I, you know, I think, I think they had a little bit too much to drink. Uh, they weren't drinking juice. Uh, they were drinking something else. Uh, and, uh, and so they lost self-control. Uh, they weren't thinking straight. They climbed in the tiger exhibit, and their arm got bitten off by a tiger. And so as a, as a zookeeper, I think there's a couple of options that you're left with, uh, you know, the, the people that run the zoo. You could either take away all the animals out of the zoo because they're dangerous, we don't want this to happen anymore, so uh, let's, let's make sure that there's no more tigers. Or, um, or you can put up signs, you can put up cages, you can put up warnings and say, you know, this is dangerous. Uh, you, you, know, you, you know, that big 20-foot fence that's there because we don't want you to climb into the tiger den. So that, that's the other option, and, and that's... Thankfully, the, the zoo does that so that we can go and enjoy the tigers and the animals, and, uh, and that's an important uh, thing to have those barriers up, those, uh, you know, those things in place so that we, we don't hurt ourselves. Um, and God has chosen to actually give us 
parameters, give us boundaries around how to uh, live our lives. Uh, but he hasn't taken away the enjoyment in our lives. And so there's parameters around how we live. And, and I think that's, that's a good metaphor for how we think about the flesh, how we think about sarks and these desires, that we need to yield them to God's uh, plan for our lives. So the point of Galatians here is that Jesus' followers no longer, they were no longer bound by the law. They had freedom. So in the, in the Old Testament, uh, there's lots and lots of different uh, laws. And then uh, the Pharisees, who were these uh, religious elite uh, folks, created even more laws to make sure that they didn't break the law. So they added laws upon laws. And they were concerned about right living. And then Jesus came, and Jesus... Uh, died for our sins, the forgiveness of sins. He was resurrected, and he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell uh, with the believers, with the church. And there was a newfound freedom. There was a transformation. And Paul started writing and teaching that uh, the fulfillment of the law is loving God first and loving neighbors. And if that's the fulfillment of the law, you actually have to worry less about all the little parts of the law. You just have to allow God's Spirit to come and transform you. And in their freedom... They started to make excuses in their freedom for sinful nature, for the flesh to have its way. They started not to worry about living in a right way. And so Paul is trying to convince them, no, there's freedom in your life. There's, you know, the spirit has set you free. You don't have to just live your life worrying about breaking the rules or not breaking the rules, but you can be transformed by the spirit of God. And people said, okay, then it doesn't matter how I live. And then people started to uh, let their sinful nature, their flesh, kind of do whatever it wants. And so the word that's being used here, it says, don't, let your, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That word satisfy, it, it's actually a bad translation in, in this version. Um, but it's the word aformain, which is a military word which means base camp. The base camp of the enemy. So what Paul is saying, don't let your enemy set up camp with you. In your freedom, don't... Don't let your freedom be a Trojan horse which lets the appetites and propensities of the flesh just go wild and loose in your life. Yes, you have freedom, but that doesn't mean that you invite the enemy to set up camp with you. So the message of 13b then is do not allow, so verse 13, do not allow freedom to become the base operations for the hostile power of the flesh. So this is what Paul is getting at here. In Galatians 5, 16, moving on, it says... Uh, Paul writes, so I say to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what, a sin, what your sinful nature craves, what your sarks is craving. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. I, I'm a dad with three boys, and when I read that, I just, I just see pictures of my boys like constantly fighting each other. You know, even my, my two youngest yesterday were fighting. And I just like, oh, I lost it on them. Like, get to your room. And then they go, to your, they go to the room, and then my middle son comes out, and I'm like, I'm like what? He said, Dad, we live in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Well, go to your room and don't fight in your room. Don't bring the fight out here. Uh, 
They're just constantly fighting each other. And this is the picture that Paul writes about, you know, the Holy Spirit in our sarks, the Holy Spirit in this fleshly, uh, sinful nature are constantly battling against one another. And we see, uh, you know, Paul even writes quite vulnerably about this in, uh, in Romans. Let me read that for you, actually. Romans chapter 7. Listen to Paul. He says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I, know that, if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Right? So Paul has a desire that he can't fulfill. But he, he recognizes in that desire that, that God's counsel is wise and it's good. Uh, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It's this flesh nature. It's this part of me that, that is constantly pushing towards independence away from God. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Just a powerful point of confession for Paul, an apostle, you know, leader of the church, admitting and confessing that, you know, it's not that easy, that I'm at war within myself. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. I can relate to this. I I'm assuming that you can too. If you're human, I think that you can relate to this. There's things that you would love to do that you think you know and you believe are right, but you just can't make yourself do it or live that way consistently. And there's things that you try and avoid, but you find yourself stuck in that same place. You know, for years, and, I, and I've talked about this many times, but for years, uh, I had a significant struggle with lust and pornography. And, and when I read Romans 7, uh, I just, I'm just, it's like flashbacks of my own life of, of a battle that I went through for years of I'm doing what I don't want to do and what I want to do I can't and I felt powerless in the midst of that. For any of you that have struggled with a repeated destructive behavior or sin pattern, you know that that's true. You know that you know that level of powerlessness that you feel when the enemy has set up his camp with you. So here Paul in Galatians 5, the spirit gives desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These things are at war. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. No obligation to the law. You have freedom. So there's two extremes that happen usually. People don't trust themselves with that freedom, so they become like a Pharisee or religious leader, and they, and they just 
You know, the freedom scares me, so i got to create all these rules and these laws. Or they say, there is no law. I'm free. I can live how I want to live. God's grace covers me. And so we see these, these two extremes playing out often in, the, in communities of Jesus followers, of people that are just so concerned with the rules and doing everything that is right and, you know, creating another religious system. And those uh, that say, hey, I'm free, but they show little concern with the way that they're living. You know, the specific issue here in Galatians that Paul is addressing at this moment, if you go to the beginning of Galatians 5, you'll see uh, that some new Christians who were Jews that became followers of Jesus still wanted to keep some of the religious traditions and laws of their old system. Specifically, the practice of circumcision. In Jewish culture on the eighth day, and you can read Paul's comments about this at the beginning of chapter 5, but um, we'll just, I'll explain it here. On Jewish culture on the eighth day after a boy was born, they would have had to be circumcised. The Jews and, and the Jews were essentially saying, if I had to be circumcised, you do too. It's not fair. <laughs> and so you had, you had grown men that were coming to Jesus, and you had these Jews that were saying, I had to do it, you got to do it. And they were wondering why their church was growing in just female population. There was no men's coming, men coming to the men's breakfast anymore. <laughs> like, why don't people want to join this movement? We've got a circumcision booth over there when you're done. You can come for breakfast. If I had to do it, you had to do it. And so they were, they were trying to create this law, this system of right behavior in terms of how they, understood, how they understood it. They weren't sure why the Christian message wasn't spreading and no one was showing up. And uh, the problem is when we make Jesus, when we make the gospel, the good news, Jesus plus... We get all sorts of issues. We end up like the church in Galatia. Jesus plus this behavior. Jesus plus no dancing. That, that's why most of you didn't know how to dance, I know, because you grew up in a, in a church, in a culture that said, it's Jesus plus no dancing. Because dancing leads straight to sex. You know, that's, that's, that was the thinking in the world I grew up in, Jesus plus no swearing. Jesus plus no, uh, or you need to have this theology as Jesus plus this, this right belief. Jesus plus sexual purity. Jesus plus proper Christian lingo. And you come in here and you're like, I don't understand the lingo. I guess I've got to learn the lingo. Uh, Jesus plus whatever, certain music, certain movies. You, you can only watch this kind of thing. And, and so we start adding things. Jesus plus, plus, plus. But the problem is when we start to do that, we start to create a religious system that actually works against the gospel. It works against the way that Jesus wants to come and transform your life and mine. Let's continue here. By the way, I'm not... Uh, I'm, we're going to talk about the specific fruits of the Spirit, which we'll read in a second, throughout the summer. Uh, but there's a foundational idea even behind that that we need to get straight uh, before we kind of go into those, the teaching on those specific fruits.
So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness in the parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're anything like me, when you read lists like this, you have spiritual ADD. You read it and you're like, we follow our sinful nature, yep, bad, sexual immorality, bad, impurity, bad, lustful, yeah, yeah, idolatry, hostility, eh, quarreling, well, it depends on the circumstance, uh, <laughs> jealousy, that's not that bad, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, ambition is actually, can be a really good thing. Dissension, division. And, and so we start like elevating certain sins above other sins. Like these are the really bad sins. We, we have these categories we make in our mind. These are really bad. These are not great. These are acceptable. And in fact, some of these we even encourage because, uh, because our culture loves them. And so we've adapted them and we've said, you know, these are okay. Selfish ambition, totally fine. And so we have, we have the spiritual ADD where we, where we pick and choose how we think we ought to live. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to this cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And this is key. It doesn't say the fruits. It doesn't say plural. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And we have this image of, uh, obviously, of a tree, a fruit tree. The fruit that this tree produces, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, there is no law against these things. Paul is saying that this tree naturally produces fruit that is in line with God's will and desire for our life. naturally produces and fruit grows and fruit takes time you know I have a I have a growth chart in my room or in my kids room not my room I stopped growing uh, that was a pretty pretty boring growth chart as I kept picking the same spot every time but in my boys in my boys room we have a growth chart and, uh, you know, I was even looking the other day on my, on my Facebook feed. It was like memories from 10 years ago. And, and then you, you see your, like, kids in, like, little baby form. I don't know. What the, uh, and, uh, and you don't notice them growing over time. Every day you look at your kids and they just look the same. 
They look the same. They look the same. And then over time, you, you look at like a growth chart and you're like, oh my goodness, you just grew six inches. And that's the way that growth happens. That's the way that fruit happens. We don't notice it, but it naturally just happens over time. It's gradual. You don't see it. People notice it over time, but people don't notice it immediately. The changes that we have in, in our lives as we get older, um, you know, your hair gets thinner, uh, or you're getting heavier, those are the types of things we notice when you're older all the time. But for the kids, we notice that they're growing, right? Uh, but there's descriptions that become inev- inevitable in the life of the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, things will naturally grow over time. You will naturally, over time, become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, etc., etc. And it won't happen overnight. Why? Because the Spirit changes your taste buds. You'll increasingly long for God's fruit and you'll disdain your fleshly works. The Spirit awakens you to the vintage wine of the Father's cell. All of a sudden you acquire this taste. Some of you guys who are wine drinkers, you know this. You know, the rest of us who either don't drink wine or maybe you're totally fine with the $8 bottle of wine and it tastes similar than the $50 of wine, uh, you know, I'm not sure why people actually, this is a bit of a tangent, I'm not sure, I don't understand why people uh, want to acquire a good taste for wine. <laughs> it becomes really expensive. And I got family members that they like really expensive bottles of wine, and I'm totally fine with the $10 wine. I don't want to learn how to taste the difference. I just, I, I'm totally fine where I am. But God gives us an appetite. He changes our taste buds. You know, in my, own, uh, in my own battle, personal battle with, with lust that I was men- mentioning, pornography, I could try and try and try and try and try to live right, but it didn't change. You know, the more I tried, the more that Romans 7 passage just, just reflected my own experience. I was like, I'm doing exactly what I don't want to do, and everything I want to do, I'm not able to do. And some of you are stuck in this vicious cycle with your flesh and this quarreling between your flesh and God's spirit and you're doing what you don't want to do and you're trying harder. And your pursuit of righteousness, your pursuit of right living is actually driving a wedge between you and God. You heard me right. Your pursuit of righteousness is actually driving a wedge between you and God because sometimes in the pursuit of righteousness you're actually working against God, not because the outcome is wrong but because the method is wrong. You're engaging in a method that will produce opposite results. Fruit doesn't just happen. Fruit happens because it's a part of the fruit tree. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is a powerful verse. Or in another translation, it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You can try all you want, but you will not be able to try hard enough to change your flesh. That only happens supernaturally by the Spirit transforming our will and our desires within us. The point of shifting in my own testimony from from battling with my sinful desires to living in a way that I believe is, is honoring and fruitful 
uh, is I actually stopped trying. It was like this, this death that happened to trying. I'm not going to try anymore. Uh, instead, I'm going to let, I'm just going to focus on abiding with God and let his fruit start to transform my life to change my will and my desire. And, and you do that over time, and all of a sudden you, you realize your taste buds are changing. The, the things you want, the desires of your heart are actually different. Not because you tried, because you stopped focusing on trying and you actually just focused on abiding. You stopped focusing on the act that you should do or shouldn't do, and you just focused on the relationship in which that act comes naturally out of. I don't wake up in the morning trying to convince myself and look in the mirror and say, self, don't you cheat on your wife today. I don't say that to myself. Self, try really, really hard to be nice to your kids today. I don't say that to myself. Why? Because my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids drives my behavior towards them. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's the context of that loving relationship that actually dictates the action. Right? I, I treat my wife a certain way because I love her. I treat my kids a certain way because I love them. I don't consult a handbook on what a good husband should do, although maybe at times I should. Um, if you have one, let me know. Uh, but it's out of the love or the relationship that we choose to honor another person. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And as we enter in a relationship with God, it, we don't do things because we have to. We do things because he's changing our will. He's giving us the power to will and to act in a way that is in line with his good purposes. If you go back to the beginning of your Bible, you have a story of two trees in Genesis 2, 8 to 9. It says, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. He made in the east and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees in the beginning of the Bible. This is how the story starts. Humanity in the middle of a garden, walking in perfect relationship with God. God puts a tree in the middle, puts two trees there. And then God speaks to Adam. God creates Adam, and then he says to him, the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the tree of every tree, freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. This is the first commandment that God gives Adam. Beginning the story, very first commandment, and sometimes we mess this up. We think that God commanded, his first commandment was don't do this. But God's first commandment, let's get this very clear, is you may, what does it say? Let's try it again. You may what? Freely. Freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. God's disposition is not one of giving you rules, but one of giving you freedom. God wants your freedom. God wants you to live a life that is not enslaved to your passions and desires, but, it, but in one that you are free. And sometimes we think God's just a rule master, taskmaster, and he's just interested in giving us a list of do's and don'ts. That is actually fundamentally a misunderstanding of God's heart. God wants your freedom. 
God does put one tree. So he puts all these other trees in there. And our human nature, you know, we could eat from 100 trees, but there's one that we can't. And it's like, I just can't stop thinking about the one I can't. Right? So God warned Adam, freely eat from every tree, but don't eat from this one. If you eat its fruit, you, you will truly die. And then in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent, the enemy, the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Do you see the subtle manipulation that happens there? Did God really say that you must not eat, from, eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And this is the, this old question about God is the same as every new question about God. Let me, we just remix it. It's the same question, just sounds different. Did God really say that he has a specific design for your life? Did God really say that there's a proper way to live in relationship with others? Did God really say that how you handle your money matters? Did God really say that your sexuality there's a way to, to live out your sexuality. Are you sure about that? It's the same question that we live with today. Are you sure about that? You know, that, that Bible, that's a really old book. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's completely trustworthy. This is 2,000 years later. Let's get with the times. Did God really say dot, dot, dot? Did God really say that? Strategy is the same. What's fascinating here is that God reveals his commandments to Adam. And God says, don't do this. But here in Genesis 3, God is tempting Eve. And did you know that when God first gave his commandment that he could freely, Adam could freely eat from every tree in the garden except for the one, Eve was not yet created. So God creates Adam. God gives Adam this commandment. Then God creates Eve, and then the serpent comes and tempts Eve. Now, I don't want to read too much into, you know, the flow of how things unfold in the story, but I, I think that there's a true point here that if you are following rules that someone else gave you that didn't come from the context of relationship, it will be very easy to pick fruit from the wrong tree. You know, we could very easily see that Adam said to Eve, hey, don't eat that fruit. It's like, why? I don't know. God told me not to eat that fruit, and now I'm telling you not to eat that fruit. And Adam just passes on the, the rule. Didn't come out of Eve's own conversation with God. The serpent comes and said, did God really say? And she kind of has an understanding of how she's supposed to live. But at the end of the day, when the fruit's so tempting and you're believing something secondhand through somebody else's relationship, some rule that somebody gave you, uh, all of a sudden that fruit compared to that rule, doesn't quite make sense. Adam was given the rule in the context of relationship. So are you living a life trying to follow God's rules outside of the context of relationship? Because then you will be in a constant battle with your flesh. You will be in a constant battle with your sinful nature. 
And then it says, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You know, see, the serpent, Satan, the devil, he, he's so smart. He's, he's taking truth and he mixes it in and then he mixes in some lies and it's this, it's this really messy sandwich uh, He was telling the truth that their eyes would be open. They would know good and evil. You will, but you will die. He deceives them on that. The devil moves them from innocence and reliance on God to knowledge through experience, experimentation, deciding for themselves what's good and evil. This is the same thing that happens today. There's often two narratives that happen. As a follower of Jesus, we can either trust Jesus and his leading in our lives, or we can say, we can doubt his leading, and we can say, I'm going to discover the truth for myself. I'm going to discover the truth for myself. And we live in a world that says, do what you want, do what feels right, and figure it out. Discover it for yourself. But the follower of Jesus believes that there's authority beyond self that there's someone that created you, that there's a design and a purpose for your life, and that I don't need to experience everything to trust that God's ways are better than mine. Now, if I could go back and tell my grade six self that I didn't need to look at that or do that when I first engaged with pornography as a young kid, I didn't need to do it to figure out if it was right or wrong because we are not neutral people. Do you know that? Our flesh, we're, we're not neutral people. We start to figure things out. We think that we're kind of in this neutral spot and there's good and there's evil and we'll figure it out. It doesn't work like that. Once we start playing with God's design or once we start going away from God's design, those things fundamentally change who we are as people. Your desires change. If I follow the leading of the Spirit, my desires change. If I follow the leading of my flesh, my desires change. And so we're not in this neutral place where we can just play around and, and figure out what's right and wrong. And that's why the follower of Jesus says, I will submit to an authority that's beyond myself, which is not popular in our world. So the, Satan comes as a serpent and he convinces them that God is holding out of them. He says, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. But here's the reality in Genesis 1, verse 27, God already told them that, or God, it says in the scripture, that God created them in his own image. They were already made in the likeness of God. So the tactic of the serpent is to convince them that God's holding out on you. God didn't, there's something that he's hiding from you. There's like something really good that you just don't, that's not available to you. He convinced them that they weren't what they already were. They were already created in the image of God. You're not what you already are. They convinced them that they didn't have what they already needed. There's something more that you need that you don't yet have. Creates this poverty mentality, this lack mentality, that there's something more that God's holding out on you. But that's the trap. that We, get it, we think that if we go outside of God that we can find more life, that we can find more freedom. But the reality is we will find more slavery. And this is the background of Galatians 5. This is the background of our sinful nature. This is the original story that creates the whole drama of Scripture, the whole drama of our own lives. 
So, key question this morning. As you think about your relationships, and as we begin the summer and we look at the different fruits of the Spirit and how we allow the, God's fruit to grow in our lives, yeah, I believe that as we do that, it will impact our relationships with our coworkers, with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, with your spouse, with your family members. When God's fruit starts to grow in your lives, it will change your relationship for the better. As you become more Christ-like, more godly in your character, it will impact your relationships. So the key question, what will be your approach to godliness? What will be my approach to godliness? Will it be the message of the flesh or the serpent or a world that says, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, try it out. You know, figure it out. Just try it out. If it feels good, you're probably okay. Or you'll figure it out as you kind of dabble in different things. Or will I surrender my decisions to God and trust him? Will I be okay with not having to experience or try everything in order to figure out how I'm going to live my life? Will I surrender my decisions to God? Will I allow an authority that's beyond myself to dictate and to guide me how I live? Because there's two Gospels. And the Gospel is what, you know, the Bible uses this term and just means good news. So there's a counterfeit good news that the enemy tries to bring you. Hey, here's the good news. And then there's the good news that Jesus brings you. And the good news that the enemy brings you is it's all about what you do. It's all about this list of stuff. Just try harder. You can do it. And then you try and do it and you realize that you're in this, this battle with your flesh. Or there's the good news that Jesus brings and it says, no, it's just what I did for you. What I did is the source of transformation. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's not about what you can do. That's the good news. The counterfeit gospel says it's all about trying to get God's approval. If you behave, if you can get that list kind of down, behave in a right way enough for long enough, God will be pleased with you. God will love you. God will, will accept you. Well, that's the exact opposite of the Jesus gospel. Jesus says it's all about receiving God's love. Jesus came to earth because you couldn't do everything he asked of you. Jesus came to earth because there's an inherent flesh and the sarks, the sinful nature that's inside of you that makes it impossible for you to live in right relationship with him and others. He knew that. In fact, the scripture teaches us that the whole, the whole law of the Old Testament was actually there to show you that you are helpless without God's transformation, without the Spirit actually coming into your life. It's all about receiving God's love. It's not about trying to get God's approval. He loves you. Whether you honor him or not, he loves you. Whether you messed up last Thursday or not doesn't change the fact that he loves you. His love for you is constant. His love for you is always available to you when you're ready to receive it. And we start to believe this counterfeit gospel and we start to get so caught up on last Thursday. And going even back to my own story, I'll tell you that, that victory in my own life started coming when I moved from dwelling on last Thursday to just being present today and receiving what God has for me today. 
And when I mess up and when you get caught in cycles of sin and battles with your sin nature, taking a posture of thankfulness and receiving instead of one of just trying to try harder. It's about receiving. And some of you feel like, you know, God had a plan A for my life and I've gone from plan B to plan C and now I'm already on plan X. I've messed up so many times and this is the good news that it doesn't matter what you've done. That God's love for you is constant. His invitation to relationship to you is constant. Yeah, he cares about what you did. Yeah, he even gets angry and frustrated when you decide to entertain that flesh nature instead of entertaining what he's trying to do, lead you in through his spirit. But that doesn't change his disposition towards you. God can take your plan, whatever plan number you're on, X, Y, Z, and he can change it back into a plan A. And that's the redemptive good news story of the gospel of Jesus' invitation to us. And then lastly, the counterfeit gospel says it's all about external duty. It's all about the things you do, what it looks like on the, on the outside, but the real gospel, the good news gospel says it's all about internal desire. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you were able. I hope you'll join us this summer as we journey through this juice series because um, I believe that it's going to have a significant impact on not only our character but on how our, our character impacts the lives and the relationships of those around us. Before we better our relationships, we have to start with the right fruit. Before we start thinking about love, patience, and joy, and having these things a part of our lives, we need to get the first things first, and that, and that is that we don't get those fruit by just trying harder to bear that fruit in our lives. We get that fruit by abiding in the source of the fruit. So where do you go this morning? Well, first of all, if you, if you want that fruit to be part of your life, you need to fall in love with Jesus. And maybe some of you, this is a new concept to you, to have a relationship with God. Uh, but outside of a relationship with God, all of these good things that we're talking about would not happen. All this transformation in our nature would not happen. It only is possible through relationship with God. So if you haven't yet made a step I would encourage you to make that step this morning to begin a relationship with God. And maybe you feel apathetic, but maybe your decision this, this morning is, I don't want to be apathetic. You know, that's, a, that's, that's even, in a, even in and of itself, it's a desire. If you recognize that you don't even have desire to please God or to be in a relationship with God, maybe pray for the desire. So fall in love with Jesus. Secondly, don't allow condemnation. In Romans it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is different than conviction. If you're, this morning, if you're, you know, feeling like there's things in your life that you need to kind of get rid of, there's this ugly juice that's getting squeezed out and God's pointed that out to you, that's a good thing. That's called conviction. Condemnation is different. Condemnation feels like this. There's nothing I will ever be able to do to get over this. 
Condemnation is what, Rome, what, what Paul was wrestling with there in Romans 7. I just, I'm stuck in the same cycle and I give up. I'm a terrible person. I'm ugly. I'm, I'm sick of this nasty, poisonous juice that's getting squeezed out of my life and I feel helpless. That's, that's a spirit of condemnation that makes you feel worthless. The spirit of conviction invites you into life and transformation and says, with Jesus, you can do it. So don't allow condemnation. And third, make the choice every day. Now, as much as it would be nice to come to church and say, okay, I'm going to change. You know, I made a commitment, Canada Day 2018, that I was going to change. It doesn't quite work that way. You know, if you're married and you just, you know, focus on your spouse one day out of a year, I think you could guess that that relationship is going to deteriorate. You need to make the choice every single day to walk in relationship with God. You need to wake up in the morning and commit that day to God. You need to spend regular time with God. And if you have questions about what that means, I'd love to talk to you about spending time with God and uh, growing in relationship with God. So fall in love with Jesus. Don't allow condemnation into your life and make the choice every single day that this relationship is going to be a priority for you. And then I believe when we do that, the fruit of the Spirit will start to grow in our lives and it's going to impact our relationships. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are able and powerful enough to change us. We thank you that we don't have to live in the same sin cycles and patterns that you came to earth, that you died for us, that you took our place, that you that you who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross. And Lord, that you invite us to die. You invite us to follow your lead and let go of control. To say, I'm not going to try and be in control of my life anymore. I'm just going to surrender my life. And Lord, I pray for those this morning that are struggling with consistent sin patterns and cycles that are stuck, that are recognizing there's juice in their life when they're getting squeezed that is ugly and it's poisonously affecting the relationships around them. Lord, I pray that you would save them from trying harder. That you would speak against the lie of the enemy that's even maybe coming this, this morning that's saying, okay, you've got to try harder. That's, that's not from you. You need, you need to abide harder. So, Lord, I pray that we would abide, that we would actually pursue you, that we would live in relationship with you, Lord, and that we would watch as you grow the fruit in our lives that is a fundamental outcome of being tied to the source of the one who is loving, who is peaceful, who is faithful, who is patient, who is kind. Lord, we pray for that fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes with me for a minute as we close service here. I'm going to invite our prayer teams uh, actually forward uh, or on the sides here if you're on uh, our prayer ministry teams. Um, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions kind of in reflection here uh, with your eyes closed. Uh, you know, as we sing that song, the enemy is under your feet under my feet, under Jesus' feet. Um, and we are free because of that. Um, if you 
want that to be more part of your experience. Would you just raise a hand? More freedom. More freedom in your life. Awesome. Thank you. And maybe for some of you, as you heard me talk about being in a relationship with Jesus, that was like a, a new idea or something you've heard of, but you've never actually taken that step to say, you know what, I'm going to... I'm actually going to pursue God. I'm going to stop trying, and I'm just going to surrender. Um, and if you're in a place this morning where you're feeling like you want to begin that relationship, would you just put up a hand? I want to pray for you as we close here. Awesome. Great. I can see those hands. And if you're someone that uh, put up a hand there uh, at the end and uh, I'd love to chat with you after the service, just connect with you and um, and just talk a little bit about what what that journey might look like. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you see hands here this morning. Um, But even more than that, Father, you see hearts. Um, And Lord, uh, we just uh, declare freedom over people's lives this morning, Lord, that are kind of caught in that battle between their fleshly nature and sin uh, and your spirit, Lord. Uh, And we just pray that they would, in a sense, give up the fight, that they would just surrender to you, Uh, Lord, that they would trust in your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness, your patience with them, Lord, that they would believe that good news gospel. They would just give themselves over to that, Lord, and allow the relationship that they're forming with you be the source for which they find freedom. Lord, I pray um, for those that uh, raised a hand uh, saying that, you know, they want to begin a relationship with you. They want to intentionally pursue that from this day forward. Um, Lord, I pray. Uh, that they would know your forgiveness, Lord, that they would know your grace, um, and Lord, that they would uh, begin to hear your voice and encounter you in new and fresh ways each day as they choose you every day. And for all of us, Lord, that we would choose you every day, that we would allow this relationship uh, with you to be the most important relationship, Lord, because we believe, and I truly believe that when, our, when we're living by your spirit, when we're in right relationship with you, Lord, it allows us to be better friends better co-workers, better husbands. Lord, you actually multiply our ability to love and walk in relationship with others when we're walking in relationship with you. And so, Lord, we put you first. Uh, We pray your kingdom would come in our lives and bear that fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we all prayed. Amen.